Please do take out your Bibles and join me in turning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we begin an unknown number of weeks in the longest New Testament book. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, speak to us your words of truth, your words of life. And help us to hear and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Knowing for sure an exposition of the gospel according to Luke. I don't know if there's anyone that doesn't know this news, that a few days ago, Queen Elizabeth II died at the age of 96 after, get this, 70 years of reign. I think one of the most amazing statistics I read was nine out of every 10 people on earth have been born since she has been I want us to hear how she ended what would now be her final, her last annual Queen's Christmas broadcast that aired this past December 25th. Here's how Queen Elizabeth ended that annual broadcast for her people. It is this simplicity of the Christmas story that makes it so universally appealing. Simple happenings that formed the starting point of the life of Jesus. A man whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation and have been the bedrock of my faith. His birth marked a new beginning. As the carol says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I wish you all a very happy Christmas. Those were the words of Queen Elizabeth. The teachings of Jesus. Did you hear that? The teachings of Jesus. What were they to her? The bedrock of faith, the bedrock of her faith, handed down. Did you hear that? Handed down generation after generation. Now, how was it handed down? By word of mouth? From one generation to another? Like traditional family stories passed from parent to child to grandchild? Was that how it was? Well, well no. By the written word. By the written word of God, in particular, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four out of the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. Now, the Gospel, it's a unique form at the time in world literature. 
It's that good news story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's more than just a biography of Jesus. Much more. Those who have read the Gospels and still read the Gospels, it is an invitation, an open invitation to receive Jesus as Savior, as Lord. At the end of Luke, which we'll get to sometime, Jesus said that the entire Bible was about him. Promises made and promises kept were about him. In the Old Testament, we see Jesus predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus revealed. In Acts, as we saw for 72 weeks, Jesus preached. In the letters, Jesus explained. In Revelation, Jesus expected. You see, the Gospels, Jesus revealed, they're foundational to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, you've got the letters to the churches and letters to individuals, but they're always referring back to who Jesus is and and what he came to do and what he did, and we see that in in the Gospels. You could say that the Gospels form the bedrock of our faith. Well, let's look at the Gospel of Luke in particular. As I mentioned, the longest book in the New Testament. In fact, when you combine Luke and Acts, volume one and volume two of Luke, it's, he's the most prolific author in terms of words in the New Testament, surpassing Paul. Who would have guessed that? A Gentile, a non-Jew, Luke. Luke is one of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where synoptic, uh, seen together. They're more similar together than, say, the Gospel of John. For those of you familiar with Luke, you might say, wow, I read the same things in Matthew and Mark. In fact, half of Luke, at least half, is is coming from Mark, and there's parallels in, in Matthew. But there's also things unique to Luke. Now, if Matthew could be considered a a Bible scholar, especially as he presents the word to the Jews, uh, Mark is that storyteller. He's fast-paced, and Jesus immediately this and immediately that. Luke, as we will see, kind of forms the role of an investigative reporter. John is kind of a philosopher. What makes Luke unique? Well, one thing is there are a lot of parables There are a lot of stories that occur in Luke and nowhere else. And as we become more and more familiar with Luke, we will see that that Luke portrays Jesus as having a special concern for those on the edges of society at that time. Women, children, and the poor. I was tempted to use the word the marginalized, but you know, the marginalized has a connotation now like everybody claims to be the victim everybody claims to be marginalized well guess what Jesus as noted by Luke focuses on the margins of society at that time women children the poor has a lot changed some parts of the world probably know Luke has several emphases. There's the incarnation. We get the story of the birth in in Luke and nowhere else. Salvation being both spiritual 
and physical restoration of body and soul, uh, spiritual forgiveness of sins, physical, the promise of the resurrection of the body. And more than any other gospel, Luke highlights the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of prayer. Luke not only shows us Jesus' teaching, but Jesus' example. You see, if you had to say what Luke is, it's the gospel for everyone, everyone socially, from the top to the bottom, and ethnically, from the east to the west, the gospel for everyone. Well, who is Luke, and when did he write? As I mentioned, he's not a Jew, but a Gentile. And we know from scripture that he's a companion of Luke on some of his missionary journeys. In Colossians 4, Paul writes this of Luke, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke's a doctor, and we'll see some evidence as we go of how he describes diseases and his careful um, skills in observation. When did he write? Well, it would have had to have been after the events of Acts, and so at least after AD 60, probably in the early 60s. So about a generation after Jesus. Well, Luke 1, 1 through 4 is one long sentence in the original language in Greek. And in this prologue, in this preface, in this dedication to the named yet unknown, at least to us, Theophilus, Luke presents his readers with his purpose and his plan for the gospel. His purpose and his plan. Well, let's listen now to a few words of introduction. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Well, we're going to start off with Luke's purpose. We're starting with his purpose because that's where he Landed. It's, it's the last word, it's the emphatic position of this opening sentence. It ends with the word certainty, assurance. Why is he writing? What's his aim? What's his goal? What's his purpose, as it were, for putting pen to paper? It's to provide certainty. Look again that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, that's not unique among the writers of Scripture wanting the reader to have certainty. Uh, Remember, toward the end of the Gospel according to John, we read these words, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John wrote with a purpose. Luke writes with a purpose. John even goes on in his letter to say this at the end of 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
that you have eternal life, that you may be certain, that you may be assured that you have eternal life. Luke is writing for the goal of providing certainty for Theophilus on what he has already been taught. Now this certainty is not arrogance. It's not overconfidence, but as we will see as we unpack Luke, it's, it's humble certainty. It's, it's being sure, but not being proud. Being sure and being thankful. Now, certainty. I think we all have our doubts at times, right? Some doubt leads people to unbelief. But believers struggle. Believers have doubts. Why? We're still sinful. We're still struggling. You know, there's times when our faith falters, is weak and wounded, and we are sick and sore. You know, our faith, it, sometimes it goes up and down. It, the story of salvation sometimes seems improbable, if not impossible. Remember the father of a sick child going to Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. Later in Luke, we read where the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, strengthen our faith. We have our doubts. You know, sometimes I think we all demonstrate certainty absolute certainty about things that you really can't be certain of. And other times we don't have, we have uncertainty about things that we should be sure of. See, Luke writes to help us believe. He writes in service of our faith being strengthened. And what is this certainty? Certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The, the thing, what has Theophilus been taught? Well, we don't know much about Theophilus. Evidence points to the fact that he is a real person, a, a person of importance, a, a Greek-speaking, probably Roman official, could be the patron of Luke that provided the funds for him to, to be able to like put the book together. We don't know. We don't know whether he was a a curious, investigating Gentile, or he was already a new believer. But it really doesn't matter because Luke is for people who have not come to faith in Jesus, and Luke is for people who have come to faith in Jesus, who need to be sure and certain. So it's things that, that Theophilus has been taught about the person of Jesus, who Jesus is. Here's a great summary of what Luke teaches and probably what Theophilus had already heard about Jesus. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Sound familiar? So he's been taught things about the person of Jesus, who Jesus is, but he's also been taught about 
the work of Jesus, what Jesus came to do, what Jesus did. Now we need to skip ahead to Luke chapter 4. Because when you want to know what Jesus came to do, there's no better place than landing at Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. So again, he's in the synagogue, he's in his hometown, Nazareth. He takes out the scroll, turns to the prophet Isaiah that was given to him. He unrolls it, he finds the place where it is written, beginning in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent to me He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then notice how Luke describes the scene. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was aware of what he came to do. But if you want an even shorter declaration from Jesus as to what he came to do, what Theophilus would have been taught, what Luke is going to to put together to emphasize is Luke 19.10. After Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he writes, or he says, and Paul, uh, Luke records, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation, both spiritual, the forgiveness of sin, salvation, physical, bodily restoration it's what revelation looks forward to it's why you've got healing after healing miracle after miracle to show that this fallen world does not have the last word toward the end of Luke when Jesus is talking to some folks on the road to Emmaus the people talking to him, speaking to Jesus, say that there was a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. That's what the people thought of Jesus, mighty in deed and word, teaching, doing, teaching, healing. He's been taught about who Jesus is. He's been taught about what Jesus came to do. And, and, and he's probably been taught something about the plan and the purpose of God. Why Jesus is who he is. And why did he do what he did. And as I think we will see as we unfold Luke, we will see that God's ways are not our ways. We will see in Luke a plan of salvation that none of us would have designed. None of us Even if we designed it, could have accomplished it. I'm still thinking back to the chapter in Gentle and Lowly that a number of us kind of stopped at and thought about and talked about. 
It was a chapter entitled, His Ways Are Not Our Ways. Not just better and higher and more beautiful, but he does things differently than we would. God's plan of salvation is literally out of this world that came into this world because nothing in this world could have come up with it. So Luke wants Theophilus to know and have certainty about the things he's been taught, about who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and about the the purpose and the plan for God. Luke, in this introduction, he, he knows what he wants to do and where he wants to go. What's his plan to accomplish the task? What's his plan to get to the destination of of Theophilus having certainty. Well, we need to back up now to verse 3. Because his plan is to write a narrative, write, have a written account about the life and ministry of Jesus. Again, to write an orderly account. An orderly account. Kids, I think that's what all of your teachers want you to do as well on your papers to write an orderly paper. You got to know where you're going. And Luke does. Because Luke is writing a narrative account that's three things. Historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well organized. See, this narrative account, as we will see, is historically accurate. Now, the apostles were, were witnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. And they saw with their own eyes and they touched. They were with Jesus. And as we saw in the book of Acts, they proclaimed Jesus. They were witnesses. They witnessed, they were witnesses, and they witnessed. It's a double use of the word witness. But eventually that apostolic gospel that was being proclaimed had to be written down. And if you listened closely to the first couple of verses, Luke is aware of other gospel accounts. He's aware probably of Mark. He's going to use a lot of Mark. And there's others that don't make it into scripture. Written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. But Luke is going to write a a more complete history and he's very careful to place the story of Jesus in the historical context. You see, Luke was concerned for historical accuracy. And there was a time back in the 1800s where where scholars who didn't believe that that the Bible was God's word, they poked holes in Luke and said he didn't know this, he didn't know that. Well, interestingly, in the 1900s, as more archaeological discoveries were made, lo and behold, Luke's record of who was governor here and who did that there was confirmed. In fact, some scholars say that Luke is amongst the best, if not the best, of the ancient historians. Think Thucydides and the Peloponnesian War. Think Herodias, Herodotus. He's a historian. He, he wants to get his facts straight, not only about Jesus, but about the world. You see, we live... I guess, in a day of misinformation, a day of fake news, a a day of alternative facts. 
you know, step again and think about lies and falsehood and how important truth is. And, and Luke is concerned about the truth of what's going on in the world at the time. And so why would anybody believe what he says about Jesus if he's not also accurate about the rest of the world? Luke works to be historically accurate, and we will see that as we walk our way through Luke. And it's also a narrative account that is thoroughly researched. You see, in order to be historically accurate, Luke has to do painstaking, careful research. I mean, this is a research paper. Some of us grew up in the day where I mean, before word processors, I mean, we're talking typewriters, but even the dreaded note cards. Come on, some of you know that. Yes, the research paper with all the, 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 point, all the facts on, on note cards, and then you organized the note cards, and then you wrote the outline, and then you wrote the paper. Well, this is a thoroughly researched paper. And Luke reveals himself to be a man of letters. How on earth... Could he but otherwise start off with this word, inasmuch? Inasmuch. He's a learned man, highly educated, cultured, sophisticated. This sounds an awful lot like Thucydides and the beginning of the Peloponnesian War, the history. It's kind of how it starts out. Luke is a man of his times, he's a traveling companion to Paul, as we read in Acts. He's not an eyewitness to, to Jesus. He's an eyewitness, though, to the apostolic ministry that was carried on in that first century. He's a member of the early Christian community. He's in an excellent position to know the truth about Jesus. Because, you know, if you said something that this is what happened, there's a lot of people alive that could say, no, that's not what happened. I think Paul refers to that in his letter to the Corinthians, that Jesus appeared to this number of people and this many people. And so if you're gonna, if you're gonna make something up, there's gonna be too many people that can say, nope, that's not the way it was. He's, as I mentioned, he's an investigative reporter. He's gifted in observation. He's got an eye for details. How do we know about the story of Elizabeth? How do we know about the story of Mary? Guess what he most likely did? He got together with them. He interviewed them. He's interviewing the mother of John the Baptist. He's interviewing the mother of Jesus. He's interviewing people in the synagogue in Nazareth who heard Jesus read Isaiah 61. So it's a, it's a narrative account that's historically accurate, and it had to be thoroughly researched. But it also, of course, is a narrative account that's well-organized, carefully, coherently. Luke is broadly, though not precisely, chronological. You remember, all the gospel writers are selective in their arrangement, and they're deliberate in their structure. Again, if you want to go to one verse that holds all of Luke together, it's all the way in Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, 
even though that comes out at the time of Jesus and Zacchaeus, Luke is, is writing about that all throughout, that Jesus is on a search and rescue mission to save, to save all kinds of people in all kinds that, that, that are lost in all kinds of ways. Again, Luke is going to provide us many portraits of all kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. You see, Luke organizes this book to show who Jesus is and what he came to do. You could broadly say that the chapters 4 through 21, it's Jesus seeking. And then in chapters 22 through 24, as Jesus approaches the cross, he's in Jerusalem for that final week, Jesus saves. But let's, let's organize it a little more detail. Chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 13, the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be the, the favorite expression you see in Luke, the Son of Man. The coming of the Son of Man. And then from 4.14 to, to 9.50, the ministry of the Son of Man. And then from 9.51 to 19.27, uh, the disciples of the Son of Man. Or, and at the same time, the rejection of the Son of Man. And then finally, beginning in chapter 19, verse 28, through the end of the book, the salvation of the Son of Man, not his own salvation. Remember, he, he didn't save himself so he could save us. No, it's the salvation of others that he provides. You see, Luke provides a historically accurate, a thoroughly researched and a well-organized gospel. Luke did the research and the writing, but it was God who gave us this gospel. It was God who superintended the, the writing. It's the fact that this is the word of man and the word of God. It's kind of like Jesus being fully divine, fully human, mysterious, yes. But that's what we're dealing with. Now, if a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and that Jesus did what the Bible says he did, then the gospel according to Luke is where we can turn for certainty, turn for assurance. You see, our salvation depends on the things that Jesus accomplished in history. It's not this idea of a call to just do better. It's, it's what Jesus has done in space, in time, in history. And one of the quotes, the, something to think about, show me, tell me the facts. I don't have time or the effort to, to, to make something happen. Just tell me the facts of what has happened. Now, these few words of introduction, they set the stage for the entire narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he did, what he promised. Luke says, if I may say it like this, I want you to know, I want you to have certainty, I want you to be assured and have confidence that Jesus is for real. You see, Christians are people who are sure that Jesus is for real. 
Christians are people who are sure that Jesus is for real personally. I want us to end with just a few words about personally knowing for sure that Jesus is for real. Look with me at verse 4. That you, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Well, who's the you? Well, it's Theophilus. And what does a name like Theophilus mean? I mean, any, I mean, biblical names are kind of a trend these days, right? A lot of Old Testament boys' names, Old Testament, yeah, big story. Anybody named Theophilus that you know of? Some of you probably are putting your heads together and can maybe figure out what Theophilus means, right? Lover of God or beloved of God. Get it? A lover of God or beloved by God. You see, this is written to Theophilus, a real man. It's also written to you and me. That you is any reader. That you is anybody who is investigating Christianity. Back it up. Ignorant of Christianity. Investigating it. Close to throwing their life into the arms of Jesus. Or... They're in the arms of Jesus, but at times struggling to get out. That's the you. You see, that that name, Theophilus, really can describe anyone who wants to have a relationship with God. Because Christians are people who love God and are loved by God. Right? Even the ambiguity of Theophilus' name confirms the truth of we love because he first loved us. Why does anybody love God? Because they have recognized that God loves them. So Christians are people who love God and are loved by God. Well, how do we know for sure? Where do we look for this certainty, this this assurance? Well, It's not by looking within. Luke is not saying Theophilus and every reader that comes after him, look inside for the assurance. You see, if we looked inside at our own spiritual performance, guess what? No assurance, no certainty. Try it. 24 hours, maybe. Eight hours. One hour. Five minutes. Not by looking within, but not also by looking to some special experience. Oh, I was baptized at the camp meeting. I joined the church. It was a a wonderful day. Um, Man, that preacher, his message was just glory. Some experience? No, that is not where certainty, assurance is found. Rather, the only way we become sure of our salvation is by what? We just sang it. Looking to Jesus. Come, look to Jesus. 
You see, the bedrock of the faith and the bedrock of our faith is the truth about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. Earlier, I mentioned just a few things that were somewhat unique to Luke. Why, why, why does Luke stand out? Why is it outstanding? Well, one of the things is that Luke's gospel is also known as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. As we work our way through Luke, you will see the incarnation, the Holy Spirit's involvement. We see the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's involvement, the, the going out into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you read through Luke carefully, you will see the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. My friends, if Jesus needed the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life, how much more do we as individual Christians and we as a church need the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Indeed, what does the church need most? The Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit. And indeed, the ministry of the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we saw in the book of Acts. Now, how do we know for sure? How do we have certainty about the things that we've been taught? Remember how Paul says this to the Roman church. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God that we are certain that we are children. We are assured that we are children. Who bears witness? The Holy Spirit with our witness. And earlier, Paul had said to that same church that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God poured into our hearts. We love because He first loved us. Christians are people that love God and that are loved by God. I think as we work our way through Luke, we'll see that it's the Holy Spirit, even today, now, as we read Luke's gospel, that gives us certainty, that gives us assurance that we belong to God the Father and that we are loved by God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gospel according to Luke, a narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus, the one who came to seek and to save the lost. We thank you for this account, Father, that's historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well-organized. But Father, this is not a, a research paper that was written to get a grade. 
or to make a mark in scholarship. This is a research paper that is your word and your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and your word is living and active. Father, there are times in all of our lives when doubt is much greater than trust. When our hearts, therefore, are either cold or they are frantic. Father, would you be pleased through your word and by your spirit, warm our hearts and settle our hearts in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.